Hello, and welcome to the Methods of Rationality podcast. Crystal Society by Max Harms, read by Ineash Brodsky. Episode 27. Chapter 17. In the morning, Zephyr awoke to her alarm. It was 8 a.m., just about an hour after sunrise. The soldier removed the handcuffs as she stretched and tried to gain alertness. We made our way to the food tent where Daniels had already started the autocook on breakfast burritos. Despite all the medical supplies, Las Aguilas didn't have machines for passively monitoring vitals. If Greg had stopped breathing during the night, he would have died, regardless of whether he was supervised by Daniels. Even so, the medic said that Greg was still alive and his blood pressure had gone up during the night, which was a good sign. The last conscious terrorist, a soldier named Tyrion Blackwell, joined the group right as the first burritos were served. Samson had just gone to bed after serving as the second watch. So what are your plans, Tyrion? Can't go back home anymore. Asked Zephyr as the group walked, food in hand, towards a flimsy folding table and a few chairs. Whatever the cause needs me, I guess, he said. Tyrion was clean-shaven and young-looking, maybe only 18 or 19 years old. He had remarkably long, shaggy hair for a soldier, and his face was spotted with pimples. Want to go to Mars, though. Have you heard what's going on up there? Makes me feel like we're living in a science fiction story. Ixnay on the Arzmay, hissed Daniels, inclining his head meaningfully towards Body. We had elected to have Body stand quietly a couple meters away. When it was perfectly still and didn't intrude, the humans tended to forget Socrates existed. That's not what I wanted, but safety thought it prudent, and growth didn't like my proposal of trying to entertain them and drive the conversation. It's fine, sighed Zephyr. Just don't mention dates or locations. From what I hear, spooks have known about the colony for a while. If they capture Socrates and download everything he's seen and heard, we're in way more trouble than letting on about Mars. Body didn't move. There was no point to reacting. Ever been up there? Asked Tyrion, looking at Zephyr. Zephyr swallowed her food and shook her head. Haven't even been in orbit. Highest ever been with Skytrain. Taro's been to Mars, though. Should ask him what it was like. Spoilers, actually really boring. How you know it's boring if you've never been? Zephyr smiled and rolled her eyes. Planet, which is literally one giant desert? Can't even go outside without a suit? Don't know what would be more fascinating, the rocks or the sand? Hey, do we have coffee? Daniels shook his head. No, already checked. Caffeine pills, though. Want me to get some? Such a gentleman. Thanks, Nate. Tyrion spoke up again. Here the Nameless might be building a base on Mars? Zephyr rolled her eyes again. Don't believe everything you read. The Nameless don't leave their ships. New, what's it called, you know, Seastead Embassy Place. Supposed to be the first time they'll be outside of ships. Maybe landed a ship on Mars. You don't know. Said Tyrion defensively. The woman raised her hands to the sky in a kind of tired half-shrug. Maybe. She didn't look convinced. Not much happened for the remainder of the day. The terrorists mostly just killed time on their comms and patrolled the perimeter. At 4.27, Taro's group returned from their expedition. I tried to watch Taro's face as closely as possible when he approached. If he had set up Greg to have Zephyr killed, then he'd have a moment of surprise upon returning. If that moment existed, however, I missed it. 
We tried to position Body so that we could overhear the leader's conversation, but Zephyr gave specific instructions for Body to be taken to the opposite end of the camp. She might have trusted Socrates to some extent, but she was beginning to understand our ability to eavesdrop, and there was always the risk of our memory banks falling into the wrong hands. With Taro here, the security on the camp, and on us, increased dramatically. Avram was part of the group that was set to guard Body. He looked calmly unhappy, as usual. His scarred face and solid black eyes added to an angry demeanor. Two of the other guards, Schroeder and one of Taro's men, were talking about what had happened with Greg. No, seriously, Nate told me that you blew his legs clean off, said Taro's man after the square-jawed lieutenant expressed skepticism about the story. Why would this man, Greg, be a traitor? What side was he on? asked the soldier. He only received a shrug in response. I saw an opportunity. He told me that he was working for the same group that hired Mr. Malka here, said Body as it gestured with its eyes and a slight tilt of the head to the bald man. Schroeder gripped his gun tighter. What group? He growled, glaring at Avram. My attention was fixed on the cyborg. He seemed surprised by my claim. That was good. It was strong evidence that Malka hadn't subcontracted Greg Stalvik. Ha! <laughs> Forgot you were stuck in that university for so long, not up to date on the goings-on, said Taro's man. I remembered him from Malka's spy reports, a New Zealander by the name of Robin. Would you care to explain, Avram? No, was Avram's only reply. Robin shrugged. He clearly wasn't bothered by Avram's stoicism. Avram here is a spy sent to infiltrate the organization. He's working for us now on account of no spy being good enough to slip through our nets. Isn't that right, No Legs? Avram crossed his arms and just looked more angry. Hart wanted to intervene and try to defend Avram from the jibe, but I talked the society into blocking it. From my history with Avram, I knew that he'd find us sticking up for him more unpleasant than being called no-legs. Robin continued. Why'd you think we were camped out in that podunk for so long? That's where Avram's boss told him to take the Tin Man once he betrayed us. I just follow orders said Schroeder, with a mild look of contempt for Robin. How'd you know all that? I thought it was supposed to be secret. Asked Avram, not letting up his scowl. The boss trusts me, and I overhear things. One can't help but overhear when working in the inner circle for as long as me. Robin was posturing. The man was clearly very status-oriented, but didn't seem that smart. The conversation was interrupted by a sharp, high-pitched buzzing from the comms on Schroeder and Robin's arms. The two men snapped their guns into low ready and ducked. Malka followed suit a second later, drawing what appeared to be, by the accounts of Vista and Wiki, a semi-automatic sniper rifle off his back. Safety had body dropped to a squatting position, hands on the ground. There was clearly something wrong. The three men stopped watching body and looked towards the edge of camp, trying to see whatever had triggered the alarm in the woods. Should we move Socrates? Began Schroeder, before being interrupted by an audio broadcast that filtered down from the poles that held up the camouflage overhead. False alarm! It seems like we are friendlies inbound from the south, said Taro over the broadcast. The men stood. I coaxed safety into letting me do the same for body. More Aguilas? Asked Schroeder. For all his posturing, Robin could only shrug. The mystery was soon resolved, as Schroeder was instructed to bring Body to the south side of camp to meet with Taro and Zephyr. According to Zephyr, giving Schroeder directions via comm, someone named Phoenix had shown up unexpectedly. 
When we arrived, having left Avram and Robin behind, I was surprised to see that this mysterious newcomer was none other than Maria Johnson, the self-proclaimed leader of the terrorist organization. Johnson looked very different than she had in the interview or in the virtual representation of Vera Cruz. Here in the woods, she wore a large exoskeleton that made her stand about 190 centimeters tall, in addition of about 20 centimeters, and covered her toe-to-toe -to -toe in dark red armor. The shoulders were adorned with ornamental metal flames, and I could hear the faint whirl of air conditioning keeping the inside of the combat suit cool. The costume seemed almost comically imposing, like something out of a game or the like. The only reason I recognized her was that she had opened the helmet to reveal her soft face already showing the onset of middle age. Johnson carried no weapons, but she was flanked by six armed terrorists, four men and two women, in combat fatigues and standard-issue mountain walkers. One of the men was missing an eye, and they all looked ready to kill at a moment's notice. Taro, Zephyr, and three other Aguilas that had returned from Taro's expedition were there as well. Taro looked calm, Zephyr surprised. The look on Johnson's face was hard to read. Her dark eyes looked here and there, but stayed on body most of the time. Focused would be how I would describe her if I was forced to use one word, but I knew there was something more going on in her head. Planning. Ah, good. The box here. She said in her thick accent. She looked directly at body as she said, If it ain't clear, I'm the next link up the hierarchy. The name's Phoenix. I prefer not to use any given names at this juncture. This was confusing. If we had met the real Johnson in the virtual reality two days ago, then she knew that we knew her real name, so why would she be using a pseudonym? And if she hadn't met with us, and the version we saw was an attempt at deception, why was she here of all places? Body nodded. The best hypotheses I could come up with were, Johnson had met with us two days ago and was using a pseudonym because she didn't trust someone present with her real name. 35% probability or that Lee or whoever had been piloting the Avatar in the VR Veracruz had somehow known that Johnson would want to make personal contact and thought that us having her real name would be valuable, 40% probability. There was still a strong possibility, 25%, that I just didn't understand what was going on. Maybe her real name wasn't even Maria Johnson. Wind here. Phoenix gestured towards Zephyr with an arm clad in power armor. Says that you refused an opportunity to try and escape. She says that one of Puggio's men tried to get you to shoot her. I had body nod again. She must have known that we knew Taro and Zephyr's names. I updated my beliefs away from thinking she was trying to hide her identity from us, and more towards hiding her identity from someone else who was listening. And still I'm hearing that you attacked the traitor so when he couldn't do nothing more to threaten our operation. Normally I'd commend such loyalty. Nguyen says that she trusts you. She says you're practically a good Samaritan, always thinking about how best to help those around you. Phoenix took a few long strides, until she was less than two meters away from body. I could see her braided black hair in the rear of her helmet and the small wrinkles around her eyes. She wasn't afraid of us in the least. I'm thinking that I need to remind her what you really are. Are you human, Socrates? Without much else to go on, I could only reply, No. And are you a robot? The intensity of her stare reminded Dream of a bird of prey. Perhaps it was fitting that this woman, clad in red armor, was leader to the Red Eagles. Yes. 
If I'm not mistaken, all bots have a goal function, do they not? We have programming which directs us towards certain outcomes, yes. Maria's voice was too loud for how close she was to us. It was clear she was speaking for all to hear. And what outcomes are you directed towards, robot? I was programmed to serve human interests, to protect and obey, and also to improve myself by learning about the world so that I might better serve. I had Body speak the words calmly. I didn't know where Phoenix was going with this, but it wouldn't do any good to either submit to her intimidating body language or to escalate the tension. She turned away from Body as we said the words and raised her arms, appealing to those around her. To serve, it says. A perfect slave for those who'd style themselves masters. It was clear to me that her words and actions were intended for dramatic effect. Who was her audience? Zephyr and Taro? Her bodyguards? This made so little sense to me. And as we've all seen, you're more than capable of just about anything a human can do. You can play all sorts of games, from chess to football. You can tell stories. You can babysit children. Why, you're better than us humans at some things like math, ain't you? Actually, though we possessed immense capability to calculate, the aspects of maths that required complex reasoning and abstract pattern matching were still very difficult for us. We might have had an advantage in being able to work on a problem non-stop for days on end, but the human brain was superior in the ability to intuitively see systems and pathways. But it wouldn't do any good to bring this up. Maria Johnson, if that was her name, was clearly building up to something, and stopping to talk about the nuanced differences between abstract reasoning systems would probably just earn her ire. Instead, I elected to have Body simply say, You've read the papers published by the university. And we've seen you in action, too. You attacked Pujo's man. As far as I know, you haven't killed nobody. I cut her off. I only attacked him because he was armed and clearly interested in hurting my friend. I disarmed him and only hurt him so far as it was necessary to prevent the loss of life. I colored Body's words with a touch of desperation to add sincerity. Phoenix spun around. It was an impressive feat in the armor, and somewhat imposing. Noble words. I applaud your programmer. You chose to hurt someone to prevent the loss of life. Would you choose to kill one to save two? Would you kill an African to save an Italian? The armies of America and other world governments are already mostly bought. Are you willing to serve as their foot soldiers in just wars against folks like us? Here we're getting to the crux of the conversation, I thought. I have killed my fellow man, may God have mercy on my soul, and I have ordered the deaths of many more. When the talking heads on the media spin their stories about the big bad Agulas, it's me who they're on about. Phoenix began to open her suit as she said, And God knows the guilt I felt. I'm not some hardened monster. The lives I have taken keep me up a night with a cold sweat. This is what being human is, to have a moral feeling. You may have your programming, and it may tell you how to act, but you have never felt guilt, shame, love, or joy. You cannot feel the fear of a dark night in the woods or the bliss of seeing a baby smile. Know how I know? Because you ain't got a soul. Maria had stepped out of her exoskeleton by now. She was barefoot and wearing a light gray, sleeveless jumpsuit. Her braids were pulled back into a bun. 
The great phoenix returned to standing in front of Body, though this time she looked up at Body's eyes, rather than down. She had been reduced to an early middle-aged, slightly overweight black woman. Around her neck was a silver chain that held a reasonably large cross made of dark wood. I'm no monster. I'm a mother and a wife. I love my family and... She paused. I could see her intense focus break. She seemed to be holding back deep emotions. It was gone, and in a moment she returned to her words. And I just want to see my children grow up on an earth where humans, good hard-working folk, don't have to live at the mercy of armies of machines driven by a few rich tyrants that stopped being men and started being snakes. I could see the intensity and sincerity of her body language. She meant what she was saying. It occurred to me, far too late, that she was giving us an opportunity to respond. Her words had an effect on me, such that I wanted to hear where she was going, rather than interrupt. Before I could formulate a response, she turned to her bodyguards. Give me a gun. One of the men, the one with the missing eye, walked forward with his pistol in hand. Safety began to panic. Maria took it from him, and he returned to his position among the five. No matter what happens, she said loudly, looking up at the camouflage and branches overhead. Socrates is not to be fired upon or harmed except in self-defense or in defense of the camp. I have made my peace with God, and if necessary, I will answer for my crimes. Phoenix held the pistol out so that it was practically touching Body's chest. It was offered, not pointed. Safety overrode my control and had Body take the gun. Phoenix, handing it over, took Body's hand and knelt at its feet. She moved its arm so that the barrel of the pistol was pointed directly at her heart. Body's finger was not on the trigger, but it was still an incredibly dangerous thing to do. I repeat, if Socrates shoots me, y'all are not to take vengeance on it. If it kills me, y'all will let it leave and make its way back to the hands of its evil masters. It's nothing more than a puppet, and destroying a puppet does little while the puppeteer is able to craft more. She took a deep breath, closing her eyes as she did so. It was strange. I could hear no fear in her voice. Sadness, perhaps, and maybe anger. There was definitely something, but it wasn't fear. Robot, I am, by the counts of your creators, a villain. I have organized terror attacks that have killed innocents. You have me right now in your power. You said full that you attacked that man to save lives. By killing me, you might be saving more than one. What says the programming that you pretend is a conscience? What is your verdict? There was silence as Maria knelt there pressing Body's hand and the pistol in it to her breast. She wants to become a martyr, or at least she accepts it as an option. If we kill her, then she has evidence that we are an enemy of Las Aguilas. It'd be fuel on the fire. A robot killing an unarmed mother in cold blood because it was programmed to see her as evil. It'll boost membership and probably increase public sentiment towards the organization. I could appreciate the gambit. She was taking the moral high ground by offering herself up for judgment. If we don't shoot her, we'll be implicitly endorsing her actions. She wins either way. I don't see why we'd shoot her. She hasn't done anything immoral. Thought Hart. I don't recognize that symbol. What is immoral? Asked Growth. Immoral is the opposite of moral. The English words are immoral and moral. 
thought my sister, drawing not only the concepts, but the language into mind space. Those words in English are often overloaded and often incoherent. In what sense are you drawing on? Imagine an example. If someone, like Maria, acts in a way that, based on the information she has, she believes is both universalizable, that is, contains no meta-complications, and optimal from behind the veil of ignorance... I cut off my sister's thoughts. This is irrelevant. None of us are proposing that we shoot this woman. Exactly what I was about to communicate! Added safety, with uncharacteristic irrelevance. The question is what we say to her when we don't shoot her. It is very likely that she's recording or perhaps even broadcasting video or pseudo-hollow of this event. Thought Wiki. Whatever we say should be understood to be public. Your face. You figure it out. We should express our support of Las Aguilas Rojas. We shouldn't antagonize the mainstream of human society, but I'm inclined to agree. We need allies, and it will be possible to claim that our words were influenced by fear of retaliation if we fall back into government hands. Which is somewhat true, if you think about it. Mention Dream. Maria Johnson, said Body solemnly. I decided to use the name against her earlier wishes. It would, at worst, give us some data. My personal hypothesis was that in the case she became a martyr, she wanted her personal life to be discovered by the media. After all, she had publicly appeared in the interview, and it would be fairly easy to match her face. Though I condemn the most extreme actions of Las Aguilas Rojas, especially those involving collateral damage to innocent people, I cannot execute you, or even find your motive at fault. The disparity of wealth and power in your society is higher than it ever has been in the history of your species. It is only a matter of time before dictatorship sets in, and I can appreciate the desire to proactively prevent that. Body pulled the gun and its hand out of Maria's grasp and threw the weapon down onto the forest floor. I said to Zephyr before that even were I free to leave, I might decide to stay and help your mission. I stand by that now. Even given the freedom to walk away from here and back into the arms of my creators, I choose to stay, at least for a while. I will not help you kill, but I was built to serve, and I hope to serve you, not as a slave, but as an equal. Maria was looking up at Body with disbelief. Perhaps she hadn't expected this outcome as a possibility. Zephyr and Taro were out of Body's line of sight, but the bodyguards of Phoenix were wearing plain looks of relief and joy. Maria got up awkwardly from her knees, brushing off leaves and dirt. The hawk-like gaze had returned to her face, and she licked her lips in what I presumed was a nervous habit. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall feel no evil, for thou art with me. She stroked the cross as she spoke, before going on to say, I am glad that even a robot can see that my actions ain't worthy of punishment. I'm afraid that membership in Las Aguilas ain't for none but humans, but will graciously accept your help at my headquarters. Something was wrong. What was it? Something about Maria's face. Maybe her words. She began to climb back into the exoskeleton. When in Pugio, would y'all be so kind as to escort me and my guards for a while on our track back to our helicopter? You're coming with, Socrates. Taro came forward and picked the pistol up off the ground where Body had dropped it. With pleasure, Phoenix. He handed it off to the one-eyed bodyguard. Zephyr didn't say anything. 
Y'all won't need camo if it's just the two of you for a short ways. Come on now. Phoenix closed her helmet, mid-sentence, and as she did, her suit's speaker system clicked on, amplifying her voice. So it was that Body left the camp, and we found it walking through some uninhabited part of the Italian mountainside, ringed by six veteran terrorists in mountain walkers, and walking next to the leader of the world's largest terrorist group in powered combat armor just ahead of Zephyr and Taro, each a leader of a sizable terror cell of their own. Why had Maria chosen to wear the armor if she was expecting to die? What was triggering the vague sense of unease when I listened to her? I wished that my perceptual hierarchy was more transparent to conscious inspection than it was. Once we were about a kilometer away from the camp, Phoenix stopped. This is far enough. Far enough for what? Asked Zephyr. She'd been on edge ever since Maria had shown up, and I could still hear it in her voice. Phoenix stopped, and so did her guards. She turned around to face Zephyr and Taro, as well as keep an eye on Body. There's a distinct change in the posture of the bodyguards, signaled Vista. They're holding their guns as if they expect to use them at any moment. Safety began to panic again. My dear Zephyr, I applaud your skills at deception, but you really do trust far too easily. Of course! Maria is trying to kill Zephyr! It all makes sense! She's the one who hired Greg! We have to stop her! No, we don't! She holds the power here! Better to comply than to die! But she'll kill Zephyr! Thought Hart, as though that were reason enough. Safety and Hart continued to argue and struggle for dominance. What do you mean? Asked Zephyr, clearly nervous. You really think that this machine means what it's saying? You really think it was programmed to see our cause as noble and just? I do! You don't know Myrden! He, he changed Socrates when he came on board! Everybody noticed it! He's been nothing but helpful since then! Hold on, you two. This doesn't sound like Zephyr's about to be executed. Zephyr is referencing the creation of Heart. It's a trick, girl. Everyone sees it except you. The bot was programmed to adapt and survive. The only reason it pretends to support our little group is cause it's in our power, and it's been programmed clever enough to try and blend in. Zephyr's not the target! She's going to kill us! Something clicked for me. Let me speak! I have an idea! We can resort to physical action if I fail! The group agreed. We were severely outnumbered and unarmed. The chances of winning a physical conflict were only on the order of 0.1%. I could hear Growth wondering to himself how he could have let this happen. It was you, said Body coldly. End episode 27. Check out my novel, What Lies Dreaming, at whatliesdreaming.com. Thank you to the following people. Dream by Drake Walker. Robert Rain Ramsey. Growth. Kate Baker. Vista. Wiki by Chase. Safety by Jim Hayes. Anonymous. Captain Zephyr. Losing Lara. Maria Johnson by Veronica R. Callisto. Private Daniels by Matt Arnold. Mark Schroeder by Omar Quintozero Rodriguez. Avra Malka by Nathan Bowman. Tyrion Blackwell. David Youssef. 
This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links, along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. Some sound effects used are courtesy of the Free Sound Project. The music used is I Wanna Be Adored by The Stone Roses. Thank you for listening, and come back in two weeks for episode 28.